You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Holy moly. Do we have enough to talk about today? Do we have enough to go on about this fine morning? So much that it will be next to impossible to get it all in. Do we have, the answer is yes, before I waste even more time and then can't figure out why I ran out of time at the same time I do every single morning, Monday through Friday. But it is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. You know it. You love it. Home to Michael K. Show Trivia Champion Gordon Damer. Also, now home to Trivia Mastermind Gordon Damer. Oh, my thorough domination of Stump Rothenberg on Saturday. Now effective up to 87% accuracy. I mean, is that's a wow. I impressed myself. And I'm pretty impressed by myself to begin with. But wow, what a thorough, dominating performance. Nine and one. I believe it was nine and one that we went over the weekend. So much so, I, I don't think that they're going to have me fill in for Dave anymore on Saturdays. I don't know when Dave's going to take another day off. But when he does, I would not be surprised because of how dominating I was on Saturday in Stump Rothenberg. They might shut it down. They might uh, not, as it is already. Think about this. The Michael K. Show, The Last Man Standing. They've had a lot of people filter through there, right? Alan Hahn, I think, has been on a couple of times. Carlin's been on a couple of times. Have not asked me back. Have not, have not placed a call to me to come back. And that's strange, considering I am Michael K. Show trivia champion, Gordon Damer. So is that the biggest development over the weekend? Me and my performance on Stump Rothenberg? Well, look, these things are open to interpretation, people. It's hard to pin things down on any specific level. But we can agree. May, who knows if it's the most important, but I can say we could all agree it was not the only important development over the weekend. So Saturday I was filling in for Dave and crushing it. And all the talk over the three hours. I did three hours in a row, people. It's like a marathon. But all the talk on Saturday was about who else? Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams' favorite topic, Jamal Adams. So let's not waste any time on that, right? Let's get, yeah, we'll get to Tom Thibodeau and we'll get to uh, the Yankees and Mets. Is the Met game over yet, Brian? Have we uh, been able to confirm the Mets have lost that game? You know, networks sometimes leave one game to bring you a more competitive game. Has a network ever left the game just to leave it? Just to go back to the studio and have whoever's there just, hello, how are you? We couldn't keep doing that to you fine people. But let's start with Jamal. Saturday, as I said, I was on, talked to Rich Samini. If you missed it, you missed a lot. We talked to a lot of Jet fans, and the big question is, what do you do, right? Like, the back and forth from the week, you have the player here, your best player, I mean, ripping the owner, ripping the coach, ripping the GM, publicly. Not like behind the scenes, not with little whispers here or there. Going all in in one week, going scorched earth on an attempt to get a new contract. And I said on Saturday... The question about what to do is not really a fair question because I think at that point I felt like the Jets were stuck. 
you couldn't possibly sign him after, even if you wanted to sign him, which the team kept saying, you know, we want to make him a Jet for life, but you couldn't possibly reward him after what he had done. And I felt it would be impossible to get anything close to market value for a player who does not play a premier position, who's looking for a contract as much as he's looking and he wants to be the highest paid at that position. Well, thankfully, that was not one of the questions during Stump Rothenberg because I got that one wrong. Jets go out, trade Jamal and a fourth rounder to Seattle in exchange for a first rounder this year, first rounder next year, as well as a third rounder this year. Well, look, before we get to the actual trade, here's the deal. The biggest problem the Jets have had over the last 10 years, and they've had a lot. As I sometimes say, the Jets have had more problems than a pregnant nun. The biggest one is they don't have enough good players. They've not had enough good players. They don't have enough good players right now. Now, that's not the only thing, but if I were to come up with a list, and it would be a long list, the fact that they don't have enough good players is the most important thing. And going into this upcoming season, while there's a lot of uncertainty, one thing you really couldn't be all that uncertain about is that they still don't have enough good players. While Mike McCagnin is gone, the impact of his horrendous, horrendously bad draft record, GM record, is still being felt on the roster. And it will be for quite some time. We can all agree that Mike McCagden was god-awful at his job. So the first headline of this story is, I think that Joe Douglas, given what he was working with, did an absolutely incredible job. To get two first-round picks for a guy, again, who does not play a premium position and who also wants to be paid as the highest player, the highest paid player at his position. There's been some talk that he wants to get paid $20 million. There's been talk that he wants to reset the safety market. I think this is an absolute steal for the Jets. Now, that's not to say that all aspects of the story are known right now. The first criticism that you will hear, if you hear any criticism, is, well, Gordon, the the Jets can't draft. And it's true. Draft picks are only potential. You don't know what those picks will turn out to be. And I will say this, because some people are getting a little carried away in their euphoria over what should be, you should feel good about what the Jets were able to get. But let's not get carried away. We don't know at this point how good Joe Douglas is at drafting. He's only had one draft, and those players have not played a single game as of yet. Mekhi Becton might be a complete stiff. We have no idea. I don't think so. You don't think so. But to say that we know what Joe Douglas's uh, record is at drafting, how good he is at drafting, we don't know that yet. It's potential, much like those draft picks, and to a certain degree, much like Sam Darnold. Jet fans are always uh, very quick, and maybe it's because the, 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 the times have been so tough, to take what is potential and make it seem like it's already happened yet. We don't know how good Joe Douglas is at drafting. But here's the thing. 
if Joe Douglas can't draft, if he takes these picks and, and he's not any good with them, well, then you're not going to be good anyway. It didn't matter if you had Jamal Adams or not. You don't have Jamal Adams. It's that simple. More so than any sport in the NFL, you got to be good at drafting to be good. Those draft picks have more value in that sport than in any other sport. And that's how you get good, by drafting players who for the first few years, if you hit on those picks, you're going to be underpaying them based on their production. So you got to be able to hit on picks. So if you don't, if you take these two first round picks and you don't hit on them, well, that's probably an indication that Joe Douglas is not going to hit on many picks and you're not going to be good anyway. So it's, if, it's, if that's the case, it's all for naught. It's all for naught. Now, Bill Barnwell, his write-up, always excellent, brings a lot of great points, a lot of great perspective. And I guess if, uh, if I had a disappointment is that he didn't focus on the Jets as much as he did on the, um, on the Seahawks aspect of this. And I guess that's because what the Jets got is, you know, it's only potential. We don't know what those, where those picks are going to land, how they'll do. But anyway, he brings up for the fourth time in three years, a team has traded away two first-round picks in a trade to – potentially put them over the top. At least that's the way the team is looking at it, right? Khalil Mack with the Bears. They gave up two uh, – the, the, the Raiders got back two first-round picks for Khalil Mack. Laramie Tunsil with the Texans and Jalen Ramsey. And now, of course, you have the, uh, the move with um, Jamal Adams. A, none of those trades put that team over the top. And B, all of those players play far more impactful positions than Jamal Adams. And to give up all that – and pay someone as much as Jamal's going to be looking at. Bill brings up the point in the article, if you're going to do all that, you basically you have to be a quarterback. That's the only position that is going to turn out to be as valuable as all the assets you're going to have to give up. And now Seattle's going to have to pay him. And now we'll find out if Jamal is a guy who is just never going to be happy. It certainly seems that way, but I guess you'd have to say that is undecided. Maybe he'll get his contract, and maybe it'll all turn out perfectly. But Gordon, those picks are going to be late first-round picks. That's another criticism. Oh, well, they're going to be in the 20s. So now no good players get drafted in the 20s? Good players in the NFL get drafted in every round. Not to the same level in the sixth round and seventh round as in the first and second rounds. But now you have some ammunition. Now you've given Joe Douglas the ability to move up, move down, stockpile, dictate what he wants to do. Draft picks in the NFL have more value, as I said before. You can trade them. If you hit on one, you basically can keep that player for their entire career if you want. Now, if you want a caveat, a fair caveat, I think it is that it hurts the Jets for right now. That is true. This trade does make you take a step back. Your defense will not be as good this year without Jamal as it would have been with him. But now, here, here, I mean, you weren't going to be good anyway. Are we all deluding ourselves into thinking the Jets would have been good anyway with Jamal if they had kept him? You think that they would have been better, but would they have been good? No. And now you have a chance to build something sustainable because the Jets' biggest problem, to go back to the first point, year in and year out, is that they have not been talented enough. Now, if you want another caveat, 
in terms of looking at it from the negative side, if you're a Jet fan, I do think Jamal going to Seattle is probably the perfect place for him to go. Pete Carroll knows how to use players in the secondary, so there's probably no better destination. And given his track record, right, Pete Carroll probably deserves the benefit of the doubt for all that he gave up. But I think the other point is, and maybe it's based on the position he plays, I think Jamal Adams is overrated. Now, that's not saying he's not a good player. It's not saying he's a bum. But it wasn't that position, it's not going to make that great of an impact. He's not great in coverage. And for all the talk about him rushing the passer and, and the sack total, his six and a half sacks last year, three came against Washington. Two came against the Giants. One was against Miami. That's six of the six. I don't know who the other half sack was against, but let's not get carried away thinking about, you know, oh my God, he's the best safety in football. Maybe he is. But the sack to, you know, there's a reason why the positions that get paid a lot of money get paid a lot of money. There's premier positions in football, and they are quarterback, protecting the quarterback, rushing the quarterback, and defending the pass. And Jamal, none of those four things is is he, you know, great at. I guess the defending the pass, at least he does that technically. So it's all about getting value. That's why, as I said, draft picks, if you hit on one, now you got to hit on them, and we don't know that. But given the position, given the cost, it would almost be impossible for the Seahawks to get fair value given all that they've given up and all they're going to have to pay Jamal. He would have to be, by far, the best defensive player in football. Is he good? Yes. Is he really good? Yeah. Yeah. But he's not the best defensive player in football, and I don't think he ever will be. So for the Jets, an absolute home run of a weekend for them. 1-800-919-ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. Which brings us to our poll question for today. And it is. Now, this one has not trended that well in history. We tried it a couple of times, and it's not, it's not been a home run. But we're going to try it again, because this weekend... There were so many big performances. So our poll question is, who do you think had the best weekend? First choice, first nominee, if you want to give the uh, the dramatic music, Brian, would be obviously Joe Douglas, right? Spent the entire opening segment talking about Joe Douglas. So our first entry into who had the best weekend, who won the weekend, Joe Douglas. Number two would be what we'll talk about coming up, Tom Thibodeau. Is it Thib- I always thought it was Thibodeau, but every I hear everybody now Thibodeau. All right, so Tom, it's Tibbs. Let's put it that way. The Knicks and their intention to hire Tom Thibodeau is that is that the biggest is that the big winner from the weekend? Is it the Yankees? The always awesome Yankees. All these debate shows, no one will debate whether or not the Yankees are awesome today. Not one single show. The Yankees' performance against the Nationals over the weekend, or. Was it number four? What's number four? My performance on Stump Rock. It's a contender. It is a contender. Those are your four options. The poll question, I'm putting it up right now. Who had the best performance over the weekend? I'll give you my answer coming up. Our poll question is up for today. It is on Twitter, people. It is at Gordon Damer. 
and it's all focusing, basically, who won the weekend, right? We had a very, very big sports weekend, a bigger sports weekend than we have had in quite some time, right? You had actual baseball games taking place, which was uh, good news for the Yankees, bad news for the Mets. You had, of course, the big Jamal Adams trade over the weekend. Joe Douglas pulling the trigger there, and a sensational job by him being able to recoup two first-round picks and a third-round pick for Jamal, as uh, you know, I, I mentioned in the open there. No, no shade, no tea, no shade, as they say, the kids. The, the, Joe Douglas did a, a sensational job. And could it be that the Jets still screw this up? Of course, it's the Jets. Could they screw up the draft picks? Of course they could. But at least in terms of a move, given the situation that we had on July, what was it, 25th? At that point, what Joe Douglas was looking at, what he turned it around into, fantastic job. There's no other way to put it. Anybody who is, is, is crushing the Jets on that move, I don't think you're being fair. And I think if you're a Jet fan, well, then you're a negative Nancy. You're a Debbie Downer. You're just looking at the negative side just to look at the negative side. And that's something I get criticized for. Oh, you're always that guy. No, this, this is a slam dunk. Although slam dunks are really, really hard. This is a fantastic job by Joe Douglas. Of course, you have the Knicks. It seems all intentions are that they will hire Tom Thibodeau as their next head coach. And the other great performance over the weekend, my performance filling in for Dave Rothenberg, on Stump Rothenberg. Dave's segment where people call up randomly and throw trivia at him. Now, to let you know, like I get a call screen. Everybody gets a call screen. And it's six lines, and it tells you the person's name, where they're from, and what they want to talk about. Now, some producers do a better job than others. But during Stump Rothenberg, all you get on that line that tells you anything is Stump. That's, the, that's what that person's topic is. They have a stump. So it's not like that person. Their information is question about the Yankees, question about mo- not even movie or anything like that. It's just stump. They just want to play stump. So you go into it completely in the dark about what this person wants to ask you. Now, the last time I filled in for Dave a few weeks ago, 80% accuracy. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But on Saturday, I was epic. Billy Batts' death. Oh, it's on the screen in Goodfellas. And you know what? This might have stumped me. Patrick, thank you for the call, but I already know the answer to this. It is June 11th, 1970. Is that correct? Look at that. I'm amazed. You know why? It was the 50th anniversary last month. Yes, and we actually played that, right, Brian? During our moment of inspiration, one of the whenever it was, I think I don't know if we played it on the actual day. I think we played it the day later, uh, if I remember correctly. But I was yeah, I, was I think off- I, we played it like the day later. I do remember playing that clip though. Right. I mean, I, I'm amazing. I am amazing. Every question basically that came my way, I had the answer. <laughs> Boom. You will see a rookie, Don Mattingly, in that footage as they gather and the umpires start to measure the bat. His uniform number, which would be go, uh, would be, go on to be uh, the number of another legendary Yankee in Andy Pettit, his first season was the number 46. I'm good! Two for two!
I wanted to stop right there. But it's probably just as well that I didn't. I kept going. I, get, I was getting pushed to the limit. Almost like someone running a marathon. Almost like somebody who was going after an Olympic gold medal. They were pushed beyond what they thought they had capabilities of within them. And I just kept going. And I just kept nailing them. Bang! Andy Dufresne from Shawshank. Oh, of course. Andy Dufresne and Shawshank. That is Elmo Blatch. Tommy Williams, of course. Uh, this is. These are not even challenging questions. Come on. Elmo Blatch is the answer. Lucky guess. No luck. No luck involved. No luck involved, people. A 9-1 and one performance on Stump Rothenberg. I couldn't be stopped. Bang! You know what? I think that this is someone... Uh, I live, or I did live, in West Caldwell, which was the home to Grover Cleveland. I believe that I heard that somewhere, that he got married. We had, there was a thing in town about Grover Cleveland. I'm going to say Grover Cleveland. It's the only reasonable guess I can have. You're four for four, pal. Four for four. I would later become five for five. Now, I did, I did miss one question, and it was... Uh, I, I, when I look back over the weekend, even though I went nine and one, the one that I focused on more than anything, not the nine that I got correct, it was the one that I lost, much like the, uh, the character in Rounders, uh, Matt, Matt Damon's character in Rounders. You, you never remember the, all the pots you won. You remember the one that you lost. I, I, I remembered the one that I lost, which was a Rounders question, and the question was, uh, what was uh, Mike's hand that he lost his uh, three stacks of high society on in the beginning of the movie when he loses his bankroll in the uh, beginning of the movie. And I did not get it. And I, 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 I will always regret not knowing that answer. So, uh, but uh, what, I mean, just an incredible performance by me on Stump Rothenberg over the weekend. So the poll question, what's that? You have another one? Well, yeah, I got another hit, one. Hit, it, hit me with it, Brian. I had so many. It's, it's, you, you start to lose track. No, you lost count. So I do. I do to lose count was the Entman draft. I think 93 was the Drew Bledsoe draft. So I'll say Drew, because you said it's one and two. They went together. I figure Drew Bledsoe and Rick Meyer are the two guys. So I will say Drew Bledsoe. That was the first pick in the 93 draft someone called up with, uh, which, again, not the, not, not the most difficult of questions, but I can't control that. I can only control what people, you know, the one guy who called up that one time with college hockey. I'll never make that mistake again. You know, sometimes you see people call up. You're like, ah, you know what? They've they've been waiting a long time. Let me let me throw it out there. And that one, I just kind of threw out there just to I I, I allowed my success to get to my head. Something I never do. I'm very modest. I'm very humble. But that time, I, I got a little too cocky. I did not allow that to happen on Saturday. But I took on all comers on Saturday. People kept calling. I kept nailing them. And I think at some point, people just got sick of me getting them right. So. I don't know what else to say. It was a, it was an impressive performance. It's one that uh, the rest of Saturday it was uh, I was I was drained for a little while. I had to uh, have a couple of um, I have my little drink that I have on the weekends, uh, a little uh, adult beverage with a little uh, mixer in there. The the fantastic Kalo. I think I've mentioned that on the air before. I, I said back. I remember when I said that Brian way back when. Kayla was going to be everywhere. Yes, you and, did see. I think right? you said you were one of the first ones to actually. I, I, was, I was the first guy on the. I was driving the bandwagon. That thing is everywhere now. It's you very, you very even popular. said it like, "What's the name of it?" You described right? how it tastes. I do oh, remember. Oh, it's fantastic! You know what I love about it is that, uh, and I'm not. I, I don't get paid nothing. I don't know. I don't have anything any connection to them. Uh, the the thing I like about it is is that it has like the CBD in it, and I wake up on Sundays 
And maybe it was the, also the Stump Rothenberg performance. Uh, I was, uh, I felt great. I felt amazing. So if you uh, want to, uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, stumping for your your vote, but you could certainly vote for my performance in Stump Rothenberg. If you heard it, if you didn't, take Chris Carlin's word for it. He was amazed. So those are the four options. Who had the best performance this weekend? Me on Stump Rothenberg, the Knicks, Tom Thibodeau, the Yankees versus the Nationals, or Joe Douglas? Well, look, let's run through it, right? My answer would be Joe Douglas is very, very impressive, and that would have to be a serious contender. I I would cross, as we always do, right, cross off the ones that you can obviously eliminate right away. I would say Yankees, Nationals, Yankees, you know, they took two or three against the Nationals, weren't able to win that second game. Maybe if the Yankees had swept the Nationals going up when – when the, the Nats had to uh, change pitchers at the last minute because Strasburg wasn't able to go. Uh, maybe then, maybe then, although the win yesterday was sensational. And then the Tom Thibodeau move, I wouldn't give it to that either because, again, to get into it, I think the, the Knicks are kind of facing the same situation the Jets are, are facing, but they're going in a different tact. The Jets, not talented enough. Knicks, not talented enough. Now, the Knicks are going full bore, straightforward, not, t- not taking any steps back. They're, you know what, we're going. This is it. We're bringing in the guy who's going to push our team, intensity, defense, grind out every possession. That's Tom Thibodeau. So that's a different tack than Joe Douglas is taking, where the Jets are probably going to take a little bit of a step back this year in terms of the talent that they put out on the field because those draft picks, they're not, they're not until after the season. So you're not getting any value for your best player in the here and now. If I had a vote, I would have to say it's uh, my Stump Rothenberg performance. I mean, just humbly, I will say that because that we know how it turns out, right? We don't know how the Tom Thibodeau uh, move is going to work out. There's a lot of things outside of Tom Thibodeau's control. Joe Douglas, those draft picks, those are potential players, but they're not players right now. If I had to have a vote, and I don't really think it's reasonable to have any other vote here, if you had a vote this weekend of the best weekend performance, and it's only the weekend, it's not about the future. It's not about what happens in 2021, 2022. We're talking about the weekend. The best weekend performance by far is me on Stump Rothenberg. So, But it's up to you. I can't force you how to do it. If I could, I would, but I can't. All right, so that's the poll question, 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Let's get into the Tom uh, Thibodeau thing, because uh, as expected, he is going to be um, the next, next head coach. Just when you felt the acidic taste of vomit in the back of your throat over that report on, I think it was Friday, about Jason Kidd had become the front runner. You get the news that uh, Tom Thibodeau is uh, nearing a... Con- uh, can I paint a word picture? Huh? Uh, how about that? Uh, you hear the news that uh, Tom Thibodeau is uh, finalizing a contract with the uh, Knicks. And uh, as I said, Knicks and Jets, kind of similar situations. Their primary on-the-court problem is that they are just not very talented. Tom Thibodeau will take over a team whenever that uh, 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 press conference or whatever Zoom call takes place he's taking over a team that is probably uh, maybe not the least talented roster in the NBA but it's certainly in the conversation it's if you had four contenders for the least talented roster in the NBA the Knicks would be one of them and and unlike the Jets who now take a step back with their move the Knicks are putting the pedal to the metal and I guess my biggest question about that move and a move that's filled with them does Tom Thibodeau have the ability to adapt. His track record 
as I said, is about grinding out possessions, intensity, defense. And I'm intrigued about what he can do defensively with Mitchell Robinson and, and Neil Aquina. Can he get more out of Neil Aquina uh, than he already has? I think Frank is, is a defensive presence, but his offensive game is zero. It's, it's basically nowhere. Uh, but in the process, is he going to be pushing the likes of R.J. Barrett to be playing 45 minutes a night on a team that's going to win 35 games? That has been his track record. Now, that does not always mean that that will be how you're going to approach things in the future. This is Tom Thibodeau's now third chance to coach in the NBA. Now, maybe coaches recycle in the NBA more than other places, but you'd have to think that if things don't go well with the Knicks, Tom Thibodeau's career as a head coach might be over and out. So I do think that he has to be a little bit more open into changing things and and looking at himself for why things did not work in Minnesota and why things eventually went south in Chicago. Uh, now, there is a lot of things outside of Tom Thibodeau's control, and I think I might I, – I, I, he was not the top name on my choice, uh, on my board, uh, of guys that I would want to coach the Knicks. To me, the Knicks had it perfectly lined up, and the guy that would have been the perfect choice would have been Kenny Atkinson. But they did not go down that road, I think mainly because Kenny Atkinson didn't have the relationship with Leon Rose that Tom Thibodeau does. And I like the fact that you would at least think, based on the relationship, based on the fact that those two have worked together in the past and know each other well, that at least now everybody should be on the same page with the Knicks. And you would have to say that for Tom Thibodeau, he clearly has a better track record than anyone who has coached the Knicks recently, but that's more of an indictment on the people who have coached the Knicks recently than Tom Thibodeau. It would not be hard to have a better track record than any of those people. So I'm interested to see how this thing goes. It would not have been my first choice. I don't think it's the worst choice. But the funny thing is, the last time I said it wasn't the worst choice, it was Adam Gase. And as the days go by, you have to wonder if whether or not that actually was the worst choice. Two outs in the fourth inning. That one is drilled deep to left field. There it goes. See ya. A home run for Torres. The Yankees on the board. It's 2-1 Nats. Oh, the the great Michael Kay on the call yesterday. The Yankees rallying from 2-0 down. Patrick Corbin shutting them down. And they rally for a beautiful win against the Nats. They take two or three in the opening weekend. And uh, the Red Sox lost. And I think the, uh, I know the Astros lost. So uh, that's fantastic. Not that the Yankees are directly competing against the Astros. But anytime the Astros lose, that just makes you feel good. It makes you feel, you know what it makes you feel? It makes you feel a sense of justice. It makes you feel a sense that the world, that the, the, the universe is uh, correcting things on its own. Karma, if you will. So that's awesome. So the Yankees get the, that's your moment of inspiration for this Monday morning. Glaber Torres, base, I almost feel like he's a baseball freak show. I mean, he's 23 years old. I think I'm going to start calling him the baseball freak show because he is just unbelievable. And he said he was pressing a little bit the first couple of games of the year, but he came together at the right time. And I was thinking about including him uh, on the poll question, but I left it a little bit more open-ended with the Yankees, who had the best weekend performance. Uh, Glaber Torres, the Yankees, as they beat the Nationals. As of right now, I think people are getting it wrong again. 
in who had the best weekend performance. They, they're saying Joe Douglas. And, and look, Joe Douglas, as we said in the open, fantastic job by him. Considering the situation with his player, the, the position that the player plays, the, the fact that he's going to want to cash in on a contract, being able to get two first-round picks, great job by Joe Douglas. Now, was it 80%, 86% accurate like uh, my performance on Stump Rothenberg has been over the last month? No, it was not, but it is what it is. And uh, the great Michael Kay, he will be on with Golik and Wingo this morning. Let me just check the time on that. Is that at 9 o'clock? I believe it is at 9 o'clock. So, uh, Michael, even before you get the Michael K. show this afternoon at 3 o'clock, Michael K. will be on with Golik and Wingo. And this was a big uh, weekend. Saturday, I put up a poll question because, I was, as I was saying, I was having a couple of uh, adult beverages. July 25th, 1980. How about, how's this for a double duo? 1980, July 25th. ACDC's Back in Black, the album, was released. The same day, Caddyshack got released. That's a pretty good double duo right there. That's a pretty good double duo. And then yesterday was the one-year anniversary of the best movie, I would say. The one that I have rewatched the most that has come out in the last year, and that would be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Leonardo oh, I know DiCap- you. Oh, here we got a little clip. I know all three of you. Yeah, Spawn Ranch. Spawn Ranch, yeah. Woo! I don't know your name, but I remember that hair. And you I remember your white little face. And you were on a horsey. Yeah. Uh you are I'm the devil. And I'm here to do the devil's business. No, nah, I was dumber than that. Something like Rex. Shoot him, Tex. Tex. God, I love that dog. Oh, that, that dog should get an Academy Award. That dog was sensational. Brian, you have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have not, but it is on my watch list. I am uh, looking you know forward what? to it because I like Leonardo DiCaprio movies. So right, and, and of course, and Quentin Tarantino, uh, like Quentin Tarantino, is sensational. Uh, and the fact that he, at least, as he said in the past, he's only going to make ten movies, and that was his ninth one. Uh, it may, hopefully, that's not uh, going to be the case. But you know, I was watching it again, and the 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 Brad Pitt character in the movie, he has the he ha- in the movie it said, and this is not giving anything away. That character supposedly killed his wife and got away with it. So I'm watching the movie. And the first billion times I've watched it because it's on a lot and it's sensational. I've always thought that he didn't kill his wife. But while I was watching it, I Googled, did Cliff Booth? And the first suggested line by Google is, kill his wife. So apparently this is a conversation that I, I, I didn't even know about it, but it's apparently been going on by fans of the movie. And the overwhelming majority of people feel like he did kill his wife. And I don't see how you could enjoy the movie and think that this character was a very likable character, also killed his wife. So I think that subliminally, I thought that he didn't kill his wife. Now, there's no answer to it one way or the other, and I'm sure Tarantino would never answer it anyway. He wants it probably to be you know, in the mind of, of the viewer. But I always assumed that he didn't kill his wife, but it seems like the overwhelming majority of the things that I you know, saw and read is that he did. So I don't know. I don't know how people would go on that, but I, I thought for sure. And I asked my wife, 
<laughs> she said, no, I think he killed her. And then I kept asking her about it. She's like, why do you care? I said, well, I really like the movie. She got sick of me asking questions about it, though. So I, I got shut down there. Nothing new. All right, let's get some phone calls in. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Jets are on the table. Knicks are on the table. Yankees are on the table. Me, I'm on the table. My performance on Stump Rothenberg, which is was amazing. Do you have any other clips of me? I mean, I had so many right answers, Brian. I understand it's very difficult to get them all. Do we have any other right answers? I mean, it was I was everywhere. I was all over the place. The highest drafted Division Three player in the NFL. NFL Division Three players. He was drafted, I think it was by the Buccaneers. I'm almost positive. He was, is it the guy Marpet or something like that? Ali Marpet? Yeah, yeah, you got it. Ah! I remember that because when he got drafted, I remember. That, that's the only Division. Is that the only Division Three? Oh, he's already gone. I thought I wasn't sure if that was the only Division Three uh, guy that has ever been drafted, um, but uh, that was the highest one, and it happened recently. Like I, I, I got a little. I will be. I'll say this. I got a little lucky. A lot of the questions either are things that happened recently, things that are in my wheelhouse, or things that I have already kind of touched on recently through Moment of Inspiration. So that I did get lucky that way. But still, nine and one is not luck, people. That is. That is impressive. All right, let's get some calls in. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Sal is in Aberdeen. Sal, long time. What's going on, my buddy? Hey, how you been? Haven't spoken to you in a while. Um, I I think I had the best week in my family. My son Michael got married uh, to a lovely girl, Shelby. Congratulations. And my younger son, um, actually, he sat down and watched Godfather Part 1 and Part 2 with me for the first time. How old is he? He's 26. He's never okay. seen it. And I'm ashamed of that. I'm Italian, and he's never seen it. <laughs> so well, it's look, on my part. I just him down earlier. <laughs> the, the conversation has already taken place in my house of when I'm, uh, I am allowed to uh, show my kids certain movies. Uh, Goodfellas right. is the first one I want my son to watch. Uh, right. Godfather, I think, is the pacing of it for a kid who is uh, young now and in the a- day and age of uh, devices and phones and tablets. That one might be a little tougher to get him to sit yeah. through, even though it is, uh, it's as great a movie as there's ever been. Uh, he, but that conversation loved, has happened. He, he loved it. He was going back and forth you know, with uh, just certain parts of it, trying to figure out what was going on. But I was like, you know, he, he sat down through the whole thing. My wife is like, you know, you're going to make him sit through this? I said, it's a rite of passage. He has to watch the Godfather. Oh, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, also, um, I was thrilled with the Adams trade. I mean, uh, I was like you. I was stunned that they were able to get the haul that they got. And, you know, hopefully Douglas can turn this into something for that. Or maybe trade that number one, one of the number one picks for, uh, you know, uh, uh, an end rusher. That, uh, that would be great. But, yeah, um, well, I, I mean, you're going to have to wait until you get a little closer to the draft. You know, now Joe Douglas True. has options. You know, a lot of times exactly. guys come in and there's this expectation to win right away. And, and you, you, you know, you can't take that step back. And this kind of step back was kind of forced upon him. So, but to now to have options in the draft, that's beautiful. And look, yes, there will probably be low first round picks. But you know what? If there's a player in the top 12 that the Jets really want, and there's a guy, oh, we we got to have this. 
and Joe Douglas feels that strong, now he's got the ammunition to be able to move up, and he's not mortgaging the future, right? He can take these two picks or one of his future picks and be able to move up wherever he wants, or the the smart move generally is to stockpile as many shots at the dartboard as possible. So if he wants to take those picks and move down into the second round, he can certainly do that too. Now he has options. I think it's a great move for the Jets. Absolutely. And then you get to the, the worst part of the weekend. This Edwin Diaz, I, he cannot pitch in this city. It's all between his ears. I, I mean, you, you can't go into the season with him doing this. I mean, he's got the Boston series. He's got this, this week coming up. If he, if he just craps the bed, then he's done. Patances will be your closer. And I, I know they have to, you know, make this Cano trade look good. But this is getting ridiculous. You don't have a 162-game season. you got 60 games. you got 5% of the season over already. And he, he can't do this. We, we can't have this. You know what, Sal? Thanks for the call, Sal. I didn't think it was that bad a pitch, uh, and, but it does really swing the weekend, right, especially when the Mets go out. You know, if you had been able to hold on on Saturday, uh, even losing 500 to nothing uh, or 500 to one because the Mets did have a run uh, on Sunday night, it would have made you feel different about the weekend, right? Yeah, you're not able to get the sweep, but you take two or three and away you go. So it does definitely uh, change things dramatically over the weekend. I'm going to give him a, a little bit more time because, again, I did not think it was that bad of a pitch, but he has obviously got to turn it around. He is the, um, to me, out of all the players, like I think Cespedes is going to have a very big year. And We did this thing on Saturday about, you know, basically who's the most important part of that Mets team. Getting Diaz turned around is absolutely essential. The, the, the bullpen is a critical aspect of that Mets team, especially as bad as the rotation is going to be, uh, given the, the injury to Marcus Stroman. That's a devastating blow as well. So, yeah, you got to get him straightened out, and uh, it's got to come soon, right? Like uh, the fact that it open, it, it's the second game of the season, he's already blowing a game. It definitely de- takes you back to last year. And all the problems that he had, and, and there's no other way to put it. The, the Mets do have more options than that bullpen, but that bullpen might already be getting stressed because it won't be long. You know, if, if Rick Porcello goes out and pitches like that anywhere close to that again, and now you get Michael Waka, who you don't really know what to expect there in terms of at least not anything, you know, positive. Uh, there's going to be cries for Seth Lugo to be moved out of the the bullpen, and that's going to put more stress on it. So, yeah, they absolutely got to get Edwin Diaz turned around. Ready for another steamy week. I think it's going to be like 99 degrees today. Oh, boy, I love the heat. Can't be too hot for me, although today might might be close. But lots of stuff. It's been a hot weekend, hot sports weekend, as we uh, touched on over the course of the show today, uh, the Jamal Adams trade. Jets absolutely hitting a home run in my eyes. And that is with the caveats of you don't know what the draft picks are going to be. The Jets have never done a really good draft, at least not recently, of drafting. I think that's mostly on Mike McCagden. Joe Douglas, we don't know how good of a drafter he is. We don't know how good of a talent evaluator he is. He's had one draft. We've never seen those players play in the NFL as of yet. So let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. But in terms of a move in the position they were in to be able to get back two first-round picks for a guy who does not play a premier position, and who is looking to cash in with a contract of roughly $20 million. To me, that is absolutely extraordinary. And while it does hurt the Jets in the, in the immediate, there's no question about that, right? Those draft picks are not going to help you at all this year. 
I think it's a slam dunk of a move by Joe Douglas and a great job taking a difficult situation and turning it into a big, big positive for his team moving forward. So our poll question, which is up for today on Twitter, at Gordon Damer, is Joe Douglas the biggest weekend winner? He's one of the four options. The other one, Tom Thibodeau, who is uh, finalizing the details of his contract with the Knicks. We certainly touched on that. The Yankees take two or three against the Nationals. Big job there. And then, of course, my performance on Stump Rothenberg, which was unbelievable. And if I had a vote, the best weekend performance, it's not even close. My entire performance took place over the entire weekend. Tom Thibodeau, he might turn out to be three years from now, but that's not the weekend. The Yankees, two or three, that's 66% accuracy. I was nine out of 10. Nine and one, that's 90. 90 is higher than 66.66666. And Joe Douglas, those draft picks, those don't take place for a while. So there's really only one correct vote, but we'll see if people pick it. one 800 espn one 800 Before we go back to the phones, can I just say to Met fans, can, we, can you calm down when there's a game that does not involve Gary, Keith, or Ron? I know you love Gary, Keith, and Ron calling the game. I get it. And they're fantastic. This is not, this is not an indictment of them in any way. They're, fanta- they're great to listen to. They're fun. They're informative. They call the app. Great. They're fantastic. Every time there's a game that does, it's almost like Springsteen fans. They're like zombies. They're like the, these, 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 I don't know what they are, robots. It's more than groupies. The, the, oh, my God, every time you'd think that the game, would, you couldn't even watch it if it doesn't have Gary, Keith, and Ron. Gary, Keith, and Ron. If Gary, Keith, and Ron went to the average Met fan and said, look, I got this dead body. We got to dispose of it. The Met fans would do. That's how in love they are with Gary, Keith, and Ron. And they're great. Again, nothing against them. But all the time, I wish Gary, Keith, and Ron were calling. Oh, shut up. Going on. Best in the business. Oh, Lord almighty, you're, you're obnoxious. It's obnoxious. All right, speaking of obnoxious, here's Lewis and Whippany. Lewis. <laughs> How are you doing, Gordon? I'm good. I'm hey, great. listen. Did you so, hear me over the real, weekend? Did you hear it? Yes, I, yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, you're lucky I didn't call because you would have never got my question. Nah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't yeah, matter. yeah. Next next time you're on, I'll definitely try and call. Listen, mm-hmm. um, Mets fans, instead of worrying about your pitching, worry about the fact that you know your team can't score. Is uh is shown for a matter of fact that even if the ground pitch is a perfect game, you're still gonna lose because you're gonna lose zero one. Uh, let me see the Jets. Stop acting like your team is good now. You know you guys are just probably just gonna draft another DN. Your team's probably just gonna draft garbage all over again. Uh, you know, Lewis, Yankees. bring up the you tweeted me how. What did you tweet me about uh, the Stump Rothenberg performance though? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> you did. You put something out, and I want to address it. So bring it up before we run out of time. Like the Google, I say. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you know that I'm not Googling? And, Lewis, I'll be honest with you. There's absolutely no way. And, Lewis, thank you for the call. There's no way I can prove to you that I am not Googling information, not typing on my computer. Uh, my computer is right against the screen. Like, that's me typing right now. So you, I think you would hear it, but there's no way I can prove to you. All I can tell you, on my life, I did not Google a single answer on Saturday. Not one. So, and I didn't do it the last time either. That's the only thing I can give you. I promise you I did not Google a single solitary thing. So 9 and 1, it's on its own, people. You can deny it all you want. It's the most impressive thing you'll see all week. That's going to do it for today. We'll see you tomorrow at 5 a.m.
Gordon Damer out, 98.7 FM. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.